there's some really great shit. It's it's like more fun because Batman tells Batman stories. But yeah, anyways, let's transition into our main discussion. Cheney, what did we watch? We watched in our sci-fi smackdown number two. Yep. We watched a fucking fantastic film, Ex Machina, and probably a not so fantastic film, Snowpiercer. Um, both of them. That's are... a, that's a, that's according to Cheney. That's Cheney's opinion. I thought Snowpiercer was fantastic. I'll just put that across. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, both of them are sci-fi movies. Both of them have very different settings. Both of them have very different concepts of what they set up. Both of them yeah. attempt to explore um, what most sci-fi movies, I think we talked about this a little bit in last episode, try to explore that inner humanity, mostly. Yeah, I think right? Ex Machina delves into a little more of that. Oh, It's God, much yeah. more within the self. With it. like A lot of philosophical ideas, actually, from both of these movies. Um. I was thinking a lot philosophically about it because I just finished my philosophy course and I just had my final when I was watching uh, Snowpiercer. So I was making a lot of connections, uh, which we'll get into, I guess, because that's a lot like a lot of the cool things I found with Ex Machina was how quiet of a film it was. It's not like other sci-fi films that are going to hit you over the head with these sci-fi tropes of like, you know, like it's a sci uh, just a quick synopsis on Ex Machina. So it's directed by Alex Garland and it came out in, I think, 20, 2014. Yeah. Uh, it stars, um, what's his name? Star Wars guy. Oh, fucking Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Stars fantastic Isaac. in this movie. Yeah. Great, great beard in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like modeling my beard after that for a while, but yeah, starring Oscar Isaac and Domino Gleason. And I forget the girl who's in the movie. I think her name is Alicia Vikander. She's but a babe. She, <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were, you were getting a little hot for her, bro. And uh, yeah, so it's a really interesting movie where it's almost like set in the modern day where there's like a Google esque company, I would say kind of like the world's biggest company or whatever run by a young billionaire type genius philanthropist you know one of those kinds a mark zuckerberg type i guess you would want to say um and domino gleason's character who works for oscar isaac so oscar isaac is the ceo of this google type company um and domino gleason is an employee of his or not directly an employee of his but of the company um and he wins a contest basically to spend a week or a weekend with oh, a week Oscar with, Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Basically and and see what he's working on. That's the inciting incident. Basically, right from the opening is you're thrown into Domino Gleason's character, Caleb is the name. Um, as he wins this competition and, and goes to visit Oscar Isaac for the first time. Yeah, and um from there, he shows um, Donald Gleason what he'll be doing with him, and that is testing an AI project he's been working on. Yeah. And this AI project um, is a robot, a fully functional... Humanoid, yeah. Humanoid, artificial, intelligent, humanoid-like robot. And yeah, if you've ever seen those, like, in real life, I'm talking about, if you've ever seen those... Uh, humanoid probe like it's so it's gonna be weird to talk about this because there's so many parallels to like today's world 
But if you've seen that woman robot with the clear skull, like clear back of the head that you can see all the technological stuff going on inside, and she talks and I think she's had like a conversation with Barack Obama like in real life, that robot, it's modeled off of her. So it, it's like what she would look like in, in like five more years from today, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, so it's like the most advanced AI as if like the thing that could stand next to you as a human and you wouldn't be able to differentiate pretty much, you know, right. what's real or not. So as things move on and he starts conducting tests on the AI, um, slowly things get revealed that, you know, this, this isn't what it seems to be. And it, it's extremely tense until that absolutely crazy conclusion, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into spoilers in a bit, but, um, yeah, I want everything builds. Yeah. You Sorry, go ahead. about, um, just the performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this is my favorite thing. Oscar Isaac has done. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? His performance. It doesn't make sense. Like you're, I'm trying to figure it out. And I think, cause I've watched this movie a lot. Um, actually this was like a really big movie for me when it first came out in 2014. And so I've seen this quite a bit and this was your first time viewing it, right? Correct. Right. So I watching it this time, kind of after a couple of rewatch, I saw like so much depth in Oscar Isaac, especially just like what he was trying to be like what the character is. Cause you can't figure it out. I don't think in a first viewing, it's really wild. It's really crazy. And it's just zany, like almost. That's what I want to sort of talk about. Um, yeah, go ahead. This movie really makes you question like character motives. And that's why I think I like this movie so much. Cause I really like character driven uh, narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, at the core what this is it's a very character driven narrative it's like three very distinct very set characters um thrown into a situation they can't escape and let's see what happens and you slowly begin to understand that as these people do questionable things it's like okay yeah yeah but that makes sense like what would you do in that situation right Right. who Mm -hmm. is really wrong in this situation there's no real hero there's no real villain it really makes you sit down and it makes your brain work pretty hard it's like okay yeah like but was that wrong to do mm-hmm. it wasn't it's a good super thing to morally do, ambiguous like, was it wrong to do mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah it's yeah it's super morally ambiguous you're right like the people that you think i don't know if you had this experience but the what is almost in the beginning set up as protagonist antagonist like switches a couple times or at least by the beginning from the beginning to the end leaves you questioning a lot of shit motivations and yeah it's there's no really clear protagonist or antagonist this is really just putting three people in an environment and seeing where where things go and i know you love that a lot just kind of dropping characters in and seeing how characters react and I want to ask you where from the beginning of the movie and what where you thought the movie was going in your own mind before it got there did it meet your expectations or did it go off on a completely new tangent it exactly what I thought what happened happened but the execution was so great that I fucking clapped bro mm-hmm. alright mm-hmm. that um, one scene in the hallway in the climax and I'll just 
I'll just say the line, and I don't think that spoils anything. But when he goes, I know the un- line. <laughs> unfucking believable. <laughs> unfucking real. I unfucking real. Yeah. Collapsed, and I, I yeah. was like, I went back and I watched that scene like three more times after I finished the movie. It. Yeah. Like the conclude, like the music, the oh. performance, the everything, right? And I actually yeah. went back and I read the screenplay because I was just like, I want to know like how they planned this out, and. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out it was changed a lot. The screenplay. The screenplay was really. Yeah, the screenplay. Like I, I wasn't able to get like an up to date version. I was able to get an older version of the screenplay. Oh, okay. An older published okay. version. Um, and they changed so much subtle things. But like what? What did they? What were some things that they changed? I'm really interested in that. Um. Oh, can't if you can too, remember, I can't get too spoilery. Um. They added some lines in. That's what I went in for, because he whispers, Oscar Isaac characters whispers that one line, and I really wanted to know what he said, and I went in and that line wasn't in there. So I I couldn't get the subtitles, I still don't know what he said. I really wanted to figure out what that was, but mm-hmm. um, they added some lines in, they changed the order of certain actions within that scene. Um... But I think they change it for the better. There's this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just works well, that's perfectly. What they, that's what they usually say. Like editing is the um, the third cut of the script, essentially. So that the editor will show new things. And I think like, a, I feel like Oscar Isaac might have ad-libbed quite a bit or improvised quite a bit. Like it just seems like such a, a human role. Like it's such a human performance. It doesn't seem like. It's such a one like it's a hard character to figure out where is he coming from who is who is he, but you know if we kind of get into spoilers a little bit like I, I feel like this guy kind of has like a god complex sort of thing going on. It's Did pretty you get that vibe? nail on the head with with regards to that god pl- complex, but I feel yeah. like the way it makes you toy with how that character could develop a god complex is really realistic. It's like yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, it's it's how he even and it shows the little things of how he came to certain things. Like, there's the small joke almost that goes throughout the film where um, Caleb says something, something quotable, right? And uh, and um, what's what's Oscar Isaac's character name? I I should know this. You should know this. I think we both should. I just know him as Oscar Isaac. N- Nathan. His name is yes, Nathan. Nathan. In the film. Nathan. So, yeah. so Nathan keeps saying, "Oh, there goes Mr. Quotable again." You know, like pretending like he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about like just saying some very wise philosophical words and almost like a very bro thing to do like you know like a very he he comes off like a bro but then there's a later moment in the scene he's like he's like no i know exactly what the fuck you're talking about don't don't get me wrong bro like i'm playing this bro role for you but i'm really kind of like three steps ahead of even what you're thinking on you know like there's all these small little details of that that he is like He's not playing a role necessarily for Caleb, but he is he is playing him. He is he's playing Caleb. The whole thing is orchestrated around Caleb. The whole um the whole trip up there and the experiment and everything. Um, right. He yeah. is using Caleb and it's pretty pretty clear off the bat that's the case that he's using and he's he, he's able to easily manip- manipulate Caleb. Yeah. yeah. Right. I thought this was a big film on manipulation for sure. Oh god. Yeah. On how yeah. Um. Oh, what was I gonna say? He um. Back to that sort of god complex character trait yeah. from him. It's like 
you really hate him at first. I really yeah. hate I was really surprised at how well they made me hate this character. But then as time goes on and you realize like he's actually kind of tragic. And he's tragic because he's so much better than you. Yeah. And 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 then he talks about that one story or that one thing where he's like when when AI look back on us they're just, they're just going to be astounded that we did anything right yeah and he just feels as though the work he's doing is completely necessary in the evolution of of mankind of, of like the greater intelligence the greater thing yeah the right? intelligence of the greater and if, he's just a small piece like he realizes he's just a small piece in the greater machine kind of thing right and if he's going to be the guy that does it yet then, he is egotistical at the same time but he might as well be the guy that does it yeah because someone else is going to do it and then he won't be remembered I think that's his biggest thing is like, how does he get, maybe, yeah, maybe that's exactly what you said. How does he get remembered? Because when Caleb says that line about um, him basically being like God creating life, kind of matching that, right? And he was really attached, like, oh yeah, I like that time when you called me God, you know? Like he, that, that was a very on the nose moment of this God complex thing, but that was a little deeper in the side of, he is egotistical like he he wants to be remembered like a god like he you know that's obviously like creating ai is going to put you on a next level functionally and like functional ai or whatever but that recognition as a as a, as a human puts you on you know that's even greater and i think that's what drives him yeah and again like it, this movie toys with it. it's like but can you blame him can you blame him mm-hmm. for wanting to be that if he has the opportunity to do it right he has the opportunity yeah. to be remembered as this God that created the next life form. Yeah. If well, he you doesn't said do something it, someone in- else is going to do it. Yeah. And you said something interesting about him being tragic. And I thought the same thing. And the reason I think he's tragic is because he's like, an, he's very alone. Like being a genius is not a very uh, uh, occupied space. I feel like there, you probably don't have many genius friends on the same caliber as him. Right. Right. Being and as smart as he is, it's like, kind of like being on an island yeah exactly. no one can reach he's, him and he, he, without being on an island he's on an island essentially right like you get a sense of that isolation completely throughout the film like they're in an enclosed box very beautiful scenery but scary you know to think about at times and that ending really hits that hard that fear but um uh what was i saying yeah he is alone with just him and his ai robots essentially and he's that insanity kind of, of, you know, like I think geniuses, like these people that create things are, they're mad. Like, you know, like there, there is that a little bit of insanity, like what drives them to create it. So we're kind of figuring that out. Like he has this God complex. So he's also afraid of being alone at the same time. And that's what makes him a human character. You know, there's, there's, he's throughout the film interacting with machine and Caleb is his only human connection throughout the film. And, and he seems to have lost that. He seems to uh, yeah. be impersonating what he thinks a human should act like. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's huge. Oh, God. I just figured out something. He fails at interacting as a person. The fucking robot doesn't. Mm. Right? So it really blurs the lines between, you know, what intelligence is. Right? Mm-hmm. 
or what consciousness is. What consciousness you know, what is. is. This this movie, like many sci-fi films, you know, a common sci-fi theme is like, what is being human being and consciousness and all that. But this really speaks those words in like a really profound way. Like, how can you define those terms of being human or being conscious? Because there's people that are human by definition that are playing the role of what they think a human being is, you know? Then there are things that aren't human, like Ava in the AI in the movie, that are figuring out for themselves, like, okay, why? You know, why are there these defining lines? Like, what makes me not human because I don't have a soul? Or, like, there's all these questions that kind of tie into each other. And, like, I guess I'm trying to say, like, it's it's letting you really think deep about these kind of core ideas of questioning yourself even you know who are you who what are you and yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's tough to dance around but like it's tough to dance around yeah i'm i I don't want to speak too um i don't want to beat around the bush of it too much because we can get into the spoilers and and get into it you know but it's it's like it's such a methodical film it's such a it's like mesmerizing like each concept each idea like once it's in your brain and it sits in your brain it won't get out easily like it's you're not going to stop thinking about those ideas you know no no i i sat and it this much like the lighthouse this movie stains your brain it really makes you sit and think and it makes you go like put yourself in the shoes of the characters put yourself in the life of the characters like think about the decisions they made and you know would you make those same decisions given that situation Mm -hmm. and it really makes you contemplate on you know what is human and what isn't like is Ava human like this why wouldn't she be right like, why would like she there's does, nothing in that movie that doesn't spoilers there's nothing in that movie that doesn't discern her from being different than a human other than maybe right. some mechanical stuff but in terms right, of yeah. the ability to manipulate the ability to surprise the ability to like anything right yeah everything she does every sing, every scene she's in is insane like because it's a movie obviously you see it's a human being playing it but when you really just kind of buy into the idea of what it's telling you like this could be a thing like eventually and there is a really interesting video on youtube i saw today from unbox theory uh, unbox theory unbox therapy what's the fucking name yeah unbox therapy yeah yeah how did i forget it and um he got that boston dynamics dog in into the uh, into the show and unboxed that and fucking was messing around with that and like he was he showed like where in 11 years this technology has come like there was a 11 years ago was the first time we saw that video of the robotic dog and those guys were kicking at it and it didn't fall and like that was the real real headline about it like there's this dog that doesn't fall and it's a robot it's just it's ai it's its own controlled thing and then today 11 years later it's a consumer household toy essentially a very expensive toy but you could buy it online and an AI can be in your house today, essentially doing its own thing. And like, what is 11 years from today going to look like? You know, like what is what is the Google Assistant? Like, I think that thing is scary, smart, like Google Home and all that shit. What is that technology in 11 years? How smart is that going to be? And 
that's why I was trying to say like this movie is not a a, a sci-fi movie rooted in like a hundred years from now, twenty years from now, fifty years from now. And the director as much said this like this is a movie that could take place tomorrow in real life. Like that's Google could announce thing, this technology tomorrow, and you would I be think, like, "Fuck, what do we do?" I think we talked about this a little bit off mm-hmm. off mic, but like that's one thing about this movie that really stood out to me was there's no time to, there's no time distinction like where we are right it yeah. isn't set 20 years in the future it isn't set in the present we don't know right no but, it, but i think it makes you want it gives you the feeling of the present i think there's a lot of those signifiers that this is at least present day with the with the establishment of this kind of facebook google type company and the ceo there's you know like there was those parallels to like today's iconographic stuff right but like it doesn't outwardly say it no no yeah. and that's really something smart the movie does because it's like it yeah. really again going back to that like whether or not something's grounded within the air it is in or mm-hmm. whether whether it's relative relative or relevant sorry later on i think mm-hmm. this movie is going to stay relevant for a while because yeah. it touches on something that isn't like unique to a certain set time frame but like this is something that's sort of progressed since the 2010s like with the yeah, for introduction sure. of social media and data gathering, yep, and and all that. Um, it's a movie, yeah. It's a movie inspired by today's world, but it's not like Space Force in the way that it's completely centered around today's time. Like this is a movie that you could see in twenty years and look back on. Like this is where it started. Like this is where the evolution of so and so technology is has started or where it's going. You know, it it's not it's not like what is it uh what's a, a sci-fi movie it's not like oblivion right that that you would you look at the aesthetics of that movie and the technology and you're like yeah this could be a hundred years into the future or like a completely different earth you know whereas ex machina is de- by design supposed to give you the feeling of earth today like this is the earth that we presently live in but this is the future of tomorrow next year next week next month in an hour like who knows 10 years from now like it'll constantly leaving you thinking when will this be my life this exact situation the movie you're watching right now could be playing out as you speak or could be playing out that's what i'm saying yeah exactly yeah yeah and like that's a really smart thing to do and it really adds tension and it adds like this is probably like this isn't a scary movie but it's a it's a movie that scared me if that makes sense no, it, it, it is, it's, ter- the concepts are terrifying. That's what it is. Absolutely. The questions it asks you, the, the philosophical questions, the, uh, just everything like about it, it, it's, especially that last scene, just holy fuck. And yeah, we didn't even get in a score, like amazing, amazing score to this movie, to this movie. Yeah. Everything just builds on top of each other. And we were talking about this in our last sci-fi episode, but good sci-fi in my opinion works well when all those things, all those, um, themes of sci-fi i guess you can call it the aesthetical themes also and mixed with the philosophical themes when they work layered on top of each other and that plays so well into this from from the music to the setting to the cinematography like the setting of the film is this like cabin in the woods-esque situation but it's like the cleanest most modern looking like futuristic house in in a serene natural environment right yeah again it's not it's a unique enough setting to where it doesn't give you a distinguished like it doesn't or it doesn't allow you to orient yourself in any sort of way 
to yeah. further that like this situation could be happening no it's anywhere. super ambiguous yeah it's anywhere exactly. on earth yeah it's super ambiguous and it's thematically it's also like the just that like kind of a a visual cue of the world we live in today kind of thing like how with like how technology grows and how development infrastructure stuff like that grows like that naturalness that natural world or that natural aspect of even us as humans is slowly just getting taken over by the digital by the technology and like that is creeping in that is starting to those seeds are starting to get planted and that's what i think this movie is kind of trying to show is like today we have google home in our homes but tomorrow what is it going to be you know today it's starting with data collection tomorrow how is that data going to be used so the all the seeds in today's world are planted and it's this movie is trying to project you into the possibilities i guess it's trying to it's a cautionary tale in a way it's a cautionary tale yeah right absolutely for, for sure yeah right you meddle with godly forces you might get the devil yeah well that's there i love movies like that that kind of show that like humans playing with fire type of thing right and um uh, this movie is not it's not like lighthouse in the sense where i think it's trying to be an allegory for some kind of mythic story like i think this is like a representation of today's myth you know if if there was a modern myth of today's world this would be a good movie to kind of represent that they with actually like the circuit with this um i think ethan within the movie mentions this but they actually take from the same the inspirations for the movie take from the same mythos and that's the mythos of prometheus right a promethean situation meaning you know prometheus was the guy who um stole fire from the gods and brought it down to the humans mm-hmm. but in after doing that he got punished by and this is very visually represented in the lighthouse but it for prometheus he got punished by being tied up to rocks on the shore by the gods and then having an eagle come and eat his liver every day but they'll regrow his liver so every day his river liver gets regrown an eagle comes and eats it which is shown in the lighthouse spoilers but also this whole myth of humans taking fire from the gods and then getting burned for it yeah and yeah that i guess that kind of mythological theme or story idea is played in ex machina a bit taking the idea of creating life is a very uh uh talked about i guess throughout throughout all of stories throughout all of storytelling and that's why i say like this is like the modern myth is because this is not this is not like frankenstein's creation this is not a frankenstein story even though it kind of is but this is like what if frankenstein was sexy right kind of i would i would i don't know if i'd say that it's like it's a and smarter and smarter smart right? and sexy frankenstein it's what happens when you make something better than you if that makes sense right what happens when you create a superior life form natural selection takes place right yeah this yeah. this superior life form coming from an ecologist cuz i'm getting my uh, masters in ecology um this new life form occupies the same environmental niche as humans. But since it's better in every way, it's going to now outcompete that. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's what's very visually and literally shown in this movie. 
Um, and it's sort of a warning sign of what's to come. It's like, all right, we play a role us mm-hmm. humans as humans. We play a role within our social structure. We play a role within our environment. We play a role within the world context. What happens when we create something that's smarter than us, lives longer than us, it's probably more powerful than us in every way possible, but still occupies the same space that we live in, in terms of social structure, in terms of the environment, in terms of the world, right? That thing yeah. doesn't need to eat. It has less impact. Like it just, yeah. Are we still the apex predator at that point or no? what happens? We are yeah, the exactly. inferior no, exactly. life form, right? That but makes is this movie place. Like, is that such a bad thing? Like, is this for the greater good? Who knows? And actually that, as an ecologist, what do you think about that? Like outside the realm of the movie, if this is our future, what do you think about that? Because there's many different movies have shown this to us. There's many different roads that this path leads us on. There's the Blade Runner road when we turn all these AIs into our slaves and they, they work for us and they're subservient to us and we control them in that way. Or there's the Terminator, you know, timeline where they take over and it's it's we're fucked. We're, we're going extinct and all that type of stuff where where's the where's the middle ground i should say where's the world where we're all living co-peacefully there is no middle ground when it comes to competing that was dark no there (laughs) is there isn't right and like i'll give you an example an ecologist example uh you look at rivers in michigan right there's a wide variety of temperature difference within rivers right Certain species work better in warmer rivers. Certain species work better in colder rivers. But there is no middle ground. Right? You get a medium temperature river, it doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. either the cold species fish is going to outcompete the warm species fish and kill them all mm-hmm. off, or the warm species fish is going to kill off the cold species fish. It doesn't matter. Right? 100 out of 100 cold streams will have the cold species fish. 100 out of the 100 warm streams will have the warm species fish. But the middle ground... They just fight constantly until one takes over Mm -hmm. and that's it. So if we are not as suitable for our environment socially, environmentally, then we technically have no place. And whatever comes next is maybe the necessary step in whatever we are. That's almost, no, no, that makes sense to me because I'll connect this a bit into what I'm studying in philosophy right now, what I just kind of wrote my exam on even, which is the, uh, also has to do with ecology. I didn't even know if I told you, but I did ethics ecology or environmental ethics. So a little bit of ecology and stuff like that. But um, there's a, there's a thing in there that was like, we are as human beings, not the center, like obviously you're not the center of the universe. People used to think earth is at the center of the universe and humans think of ourselves in that same way that it's not it's not earth's story it's our story as human beings right we're the main character but if you change the perception of that into we're actually just like ants on earth you know this is earth just going about the rounds on a cycle on a cyclical thing and you know like we were developed by evolution and mutation starting off from monkeys or whatever, if you want to believe that, into what we are today. And who's to say that the next part of that evolution 
doesn't have to be our happy ending. You know, it doesn't have to be our happy ending. And what you said is fucking scary, bro. Like, cause that, that makes sense to me. Like the whole fish analogy, even like, yeah. Cause why not? You know, like if, if we are the ones that are fucking up our environment and there's another uh, species, right. Dependent on the environment to survive. What, why wouldn't they take it upon themselves to be like, you know what? Like, fuck these guys. If we can't educate them or explain to them to change their ways, fuck them. You know, the water's got to stay warm. It's also a matter of, in terms of how we improve, is through random mutation and luck, right? When but isn't it isn't it? I don't know if it's luck though. It's a lot of it is um, the needs of survival. Right. Exactly. When when, so like when those temperatures needs, change, then we change to that. Quote when those unquote, needs like, no longer you know? exist, and the route to improvement is no longer through the physical environment, but rather through data mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping i can't improve my species that makes sense right but we as a collective can improve the species a singular ai can improve itself beyond what a collective group of people can do right mm-hmm. so it's a completely different realm in terms of it is where yeah. we fit in in a world that has something that can improve itself over and over. Right. In the span of like a millisecond, essentially it can get smarter in no time at all. It can know everything technically. Well, that's what, that's what, didn't they say the, what's that called? The moment when the singularity, I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Right. When, when AI reaches that point of breaking past what human intelligence is. So they say like the, the point when they develop AI and to the point when they reach that singularity is like a nanosecond. Like it won't be like me thinking of how to make a cake and I have to think about the ingredients and think about the direction and the time and blah, blah, blah. It will be like in the snap of a finger that now they're just the being of all knowing. As soon as it figures out how to improve itself, as soon as an AI begins to understand how to expand its own intellect, it will just happen once Right. Say that expands. Say it, it expands yeah. twofold. Okay. Well, it goes from two to four to eight to sixteen to thirty-two to sixty-four. How fast? We don't know. We don't know. But it's a singularity. We, there's no measurement. There, it just happens. Yeah, that's the singularity. And that's now that we're kind of. I'll bring this full circle back to the movie. What is consciousness in that? Def, like, how do you define that then? If Ava in the movie is like the prime example of what AI can be, and she's a conscious being, she can think. She can deceive and she can uh you know she can do all these things that human beings can do so well but she's not biologically human and she doesn't fit this description of a conscious being of our description then what is that something entirely new is that an evolution of consciousness essentially you know like how humans can evolve can the idea of consciousness also evolve the idea of consciousness we don't even understand right it's tough to explain like i don't think I really don't think the AI thing is even close because people don't understand how our minds work in terms of consciousness. Humans don't view objects as objects. That's tough to understand, but like humans view objects as function, right? You see a beanbag chair. What would an AI do with that? How, How would they know how to work with that? We see a beanbag chair. We just sit in it. We understand it's for sitting. It's a function. Mm -hmm. They understand it as an object within 
no, a set, a a set space. space, right? Yeah, right, right. So it's really difficult being able to... I'm Sorry, yeah, that's AI today, though. That's... You're explaining, like, today's AI today AI. is programmed to conduct a function, whereas right. we view function out of things that don't have a function, technically. But what if you can teach a robot to think like that, bro? Like, Elon Musk is saying exactly that. The guy is talking about how he's going to program a robot to make neural connections the same way human beings have neural connections. That, the same way, like you just said, if a robot or an AI looks at a chair, that suddenly the all the things that a human being would think are now trains of thoughts that the AI can think. So it's programmable, but it's also natural. It's a natural process of finding those those things. But, but biologically, like, it's tough for us to explain as to why we think that way. Like when you think of a chair, you think of it like, okay, I can sit in a chair, but think of how many other things you can do with a chair. It's hard mm-hmm. to get any sort of artificial intelligence to think that same way. It's like, yes, you can program an AI or a robot to see a chair and be able to sit down in it, but how well can you train an AI to see a chair and use it in a wrestling match? That's freedom of choice. If yeah. you can teach an AI the concept of choice and everything of that, what that means, then you've, you've got at least like human beings are complicated, right? Like you can't just say human beings are one thing. We are beings that can choose like, no, we're much more than even that. Right. There's so much depth to what a human being is. So you're right in the sense that I don't think at least in the near future right now, like an AI will be able to get to that close of a level because it's just too complicated. There always will be, I think a defining line, but if like, like I brought that example, bro, like, 11 years from now, like you look at video games in the 1970s or 80s and you got Pong, you know, you got just pixels working on a screen and you look at things today and it's like, well, that happened in a lifetime. Like what is our lifetime going to show us how, you know, it's just moving at such an increasingly fast rate that in my head, there's no, there's everything as a possibility. There's no lack of chances especially with how data is being collected now. And like, I love how the movie got into that, that Ava is a, is, is a creation is, or is only possible because of things like social media and Google and data input and collection. It, it, it just grounds the story in, in such a real world and like in a real world way of understanding it. And all of that makes sense to me, bro. Like that's, that's like, if, if somebody was to take a bird's eye view of one person's Google search history or time spent on a computer, and you looked at their entire life spent on that computer, you know, you're you're seeing a person, you're seeing a personality, you're seeing consciousness, you're seeing a way of thinking, you're seeing patterns of thought. So who's to say you can't translate that? You know, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like I get what you're saying, and that's what the movie said. Um I do think that's a fun yeah. way of looking at AI. I don't think that's it's sci-fi, but I know yeah. that's that's where the sci-fi thing comes out. That's when the fiction For comes sure. in. Because I don't think that's the way and AI is gonna end up. Right? I, How do you think AI is going to be in, in a, it'll be more practical. Like it'll just be your, you know, your phone talking to you type of shit. Again, like, it's hard to understand even like when you create consciousness, like why, why would it be like us at all? Right. Ava is very human. He made a human consciousness, but like when you create right. an artificial consciousness, it's not necessarily human. It's a new thing. So it wouldn't act human if that makes sense. So it's a fun way to interpret and it's a very like visually striking way to show humanity in regards to consciousness and AI. 
but that's where the fiction comes in. It's not like a realistic way, but that's okay. I'm a, like totally. No, no down, of course yeah. it's not. We're not watching a documentary and expecting it to be, you know, like no. a realism. It's not a realism movie. No, or you know what? It it's not realistic in the sense like you're right. It's completely science fiction, and it's all in that sense. But there's enough there, I think, that lends itself into into what can be. You know, it's not. It's like Ava is a science fiction concept completely to have see a human visualized and externalized like that. And in our lifetimes, like I'd be surprised if something like that close to, you know, Ava exists. But maybe with not all of those features, but, you know, you're walking in a mall and you see, you will see something like that one day, you know, S- somebody helping you with your groceries will be not a human being and is, will tell you everything you need to know about the groceries you want to find. And I think still being able to draw a line from like a movie in 2014 that came out to something that can happen like that, like what I just described tomorrow, you know, if that happens tomorrow, suddenly that Google just develops something like that. Like it's interesting to see where, where that comes from, you know, where that kind of foresight comes from. I think like, even like, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going all over the place with the philosophy side of it, but like human beings are so kind of crazy in that way that we can like predict our own, whether you want to call it like downfall or our own, we can predict our own future like that where we're, we're, we're getting so on the nose. I, I feel with our storytelling, like it's getting so close to like, uh, just like laying it all out there. Just, this is what it, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be like, you know? Yeah. Um, it's tough to say. It really is. This is just, um, it's really, it's a really creative way of, of looking at that. And it's a really scary way of looking at that, of what can be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But overall, um, just a, I don't know what else to say about it. I think you hit the nail on the head for sure. It's um, a mind fuck of a movie. It is. Like, a I put it, I, I put it on our Instagram story for mythic morons at it, mythic morons, you know, follow us on Instagram. Uh, put it on the story there that little tagline up it was just holy fuck like that's simply put what all you need to know going into it is just it's just a mind fuck of a movie man like it's like you when you texted me after you were like what'd you say like that was fucking terrifying or something like that you know like it's not a horror film by any means no. you know you'll go into it and you'll laugh in many moments you'll you're gonna think like what the fuck am i watching like what is this you, you'll feel such a range of emotions but that last scene illustrates so fucking amazingly like what all of this means, what all of this is. And, and it just shows you a little bit about what being human is, which is, which is cool. You know, I, 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 I think what movies end up striving to do is just showing peering into the soul a little bit, you know, without getting too, too spiritual about it. But like, it's, it's a reflection of what it means to be human. And like I said, like, it's such a, it's such a wide net. Like you can't just say we are one thing. So that's why there's so many movies also that exist. It's, it takes a lot to kind of describe what we are. So to that point, like, you know, you're right. Like in the sense that it'll be, you know, what would be scary if one day an AI makes a movie or it draws a painting, like what the fuck is that going to be like? You know, what is an original creation or a thought of an AI going to look like? So that's, that's another intriguing idea for sure. And, um, not only do sci-fi movies sort of peer into, well, they they peer into the human experience, right? 
and um, on differing levels. This would the ex machina is more of a peering into the individual human experience, yeah. whereas a movie like Snowpiercer is more or less looking at a societal mm. human experience. Yeah, very good transition. I think that w- it's a it's like polar opposite in that way. You're right. Whereas, yeah, Snowpiercer is much more society's a look on society a look on sociologically how people act and how we form ourselves into these groups so yeah let's move on to snowpiercer so quick transition or quick synopsis for people who don't or haven't seen snowpiercer don't know what it's about um snowpiercer was directed by bong jun ho who was the recently oscar award-winning director and highly acclaimed filmmaker for parasite so everybody who even doesn't know movies knows Parasite, which is I find amazing now, like an international movie has that much acclaim. So that's why I'm kind of tying it into Parasite. Like this is the filmmaker behind that, and this movie like is it's very similar in in its themes. Like Bong is a he's an auteur in the sense that he has these themes that he plays with constantly in all of his movies. So society and kind of the the black, white, and gray right of society is prevalent through all of his most of his films. I would say. Um, and so yeah and he's a south korean filmmaker and this is a hollywood movie so i'm also going to get into a bit of what i think that means i think he's very consciously made it an english cast an english-speaking movie like he didn't have to do that and snowpiercer is based off a graphic novel right it's based off a french graphic novel so this is a story that was originally told for a french audience or in, in the french demographic kind of kind of for those people, I guess, kind of thing, um, translated by a South Korean filmmaker for an American audience, right? So I think there's this very, very universal story within Snowpiercer. And it's basically about uh, humanity has, try, uh, humanity trying to kind of combat climate change has developed a, a uh, chemical agent called C, what is it? C35, C something whatever some sci-fi name some made up thing that was never explained yeah only explained very briefly in um opening credits uh so yeah film opens with some credits to kind of establish the world and basically things go wrong so humans try to fight global warming with science and things go really bad for humans and earth freezes over there's a new uh ice age essentially and the last of the human race is believed to be boarding on or has boarded onto a train which is traveling all around the world just going circling the world basically and all of humanity is believed to be just on that train um so we're introduced basically into the the world which is the train right now the entire world is this train and it's a reflection of our world today essentially there is the train is split up in these classes there's the lower part of the train which is the lowest class of people who are you know stuck like living like shit eating like shit then there's a middle class and then there's a higher class and this the film is about traversing those classes kind of making your way through those classes and yeah like that's a small synopsis without getting too deep into it and um basically yeah so they're trying to get from the tail end of the the train they're trying to, to the, seize power of the train because the trying to seize power. The, of the people train, at the yeah. tail end of the train, the low class people, the people that got screwed over, are trying to now take control of the engine room, 
because they want to now sort of have a revolution. They want to overthrow the current right. power and have a new leader. Establish in place. a new power. Yeah. Yeah. Establish a new leader or a new, yeah, new, new, new kind of power. Um, what were, and yeah, so you, this was your first time watching Snowpiercer as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen this film a couple times, but what were your first impressions? Let's get into it like that. What were your first impressions? I was incredibly bored by this movie. Um, <laughs> it lost me within the first 10 minutes. Um, I think, you know, once again, I'm, I'm very like character driven. And I think the characters in this movie are atrocious. Uh, not like atrocious, but like serviceable at best. Um, the main character, Curtis and his like, whatever his friend was they're they're just not likable to me they're i think they're idiots um curtis's whole arc is um trying to realize that he's a leader but while he's doing that everyone is following his lead in this whole revolution so it's like are you like that dumb that you can't see that you're a good leader for people and he just refuses mm. and it's like so frustrating it's like you're an idiot like just right and then his friend like is so annoying <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't stand him whatsoever yeah jamie bell the fucking basically the rat of the train who's just like that's what he reminds me of as a character in the film he's just like a rat kind of scrummaging around and yeah i don't know yeah so like I didn't. I didn't think the main cast was likable. I'm not even sure if they were supposed to be likable, but it seemed seemed that mm -hmm. way because the villains were so cartoonishly evil. That it's yeah. Well, yeah. It's that's sorry. I don't. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that that word cartoonish kind of just spoke to me. It, it's based off a graphic novel, so my sense of like you're using the word cartoonish, but my interpretation was almost like it's very graphic novelish. It's very much like Sin City, almost. You know, like with how Sin City just painted these very graphic characters cartoonish characters you know and just these uh visually distinctive people that have these traits and snowpiercer does that heavily you know like it, you you see somebody in that movie and you know what that person is about immediately you know curtis is the leader um and you know and i i i see the flaw i see in curtis that you just said and my only reply to that is to look at it in a different way that he his arc isn't necessarily that he's he's becoming a leader. He's figuring out what a leader is, what it means to be a leader. I think that's what his arc is because you're right. He's, he begins the movie leading the thing. And he's kind of, in the beginning, a reluctant leader. He's like, oh, yeah. Um, fuck, what's the guy's name? Uh, so bad with names in movies. John Hurt's character, Gilliam, right? The old, the old leader, the old head of the train. Um, the wise old man kind of thing. He wants Gilliam to take the place of uh, Wilfred, who is the engine master kind of running the whole train and all of that, and who is oppressing the people in the, the tail end. So he wants Gilliam to take that leadership, not him. He doesn't feel like he's a good leader. Yet, like you said, he is still leading the group. So I think his arc is not accepting of that he's a leader, but it's learning. And through him, we as an audience learn also what what is a leader. I think that's what this whole movie is. It's it's not in a sense to understand characters' arcs or who are these characters. Like it's character driven, but I think as a movie, it's more 
as a way to understand human beings in a sociological sense, like how we fit roles in, in, as a society and how we group ourselves in society. What, what do we, what rules do we establish for ourselves and what, you know, kind of, what kind of world have we built? Because the premise of Snowpiercer is essentially the world has ended and the world is beginning anew on this train, right? That's the context. And you see like, okay, the world ended. That means politics, religion, the rules of the old world ended with that world, right? And then you see life on this train. It's like, okay, not much is different. It's exaggerated. It's a lot of exaggerational things. Um, that's what movies do. But it's not trying to, it's trying to show you what human beings do when we are put into these situations of deciding for ourselves, of building a life for ourselves, those kind of things, you know? Does that kind of like change your perception a little bit of it? Uh, I agree that it's um, not really about the characters. It's about the premise. I just think the premise itself isn't strong enough for me to, to, to carry the movie. I think I needed a better cast of more likable characters. Like I don't mind the, mm-hmm. the villains being cartoony, right? Again, mm-hmm. I don't mind that at all, but just have a likable cartoony protagonist to go after them. Yeah. That's fair. And I think you're right in the sense where I don't think they're even trying to make Curtis likable because by the end of the movie, you know, there's that there's a section he has with. um, um, The Asian speaking character. Yes. I'm Nam. Nam is his name. Nam Goon. Yeah. Right. Uh, He's uh, having a moment with him where he's getting into his backstory a little bit and revealing some stuff about him where you're like, oh, fuck, like this guy is a bit of a shady character. This guy is not. Like, it makes you start to question what a leader is in that moment. You know, the leader, the way we see it is a very as a very black and white way. There's good leaders, there's bad leaders, but the responsibility of a leader, I think, is what this movie kind of get gets into. Like, what does it mean to lead civilization, lead the world, or, you know, be be somebody in charge? And, yeah, like, it. I thought it personally, I thought it did that well, like, when when I feel like I want to get into really invest into a world kind of a sci-fi world or or see a kind of a, another contained story like this whole movie takes place in a train so it's very literally a contained story but I think this movie so well just kind of throws you into a world with these established rules and characters and and just explores this very sci-fi very unique world and kind of details today's problems to you in that way you know it's a vehicle to kind of explain today's politics almost it's yeah the train is a microcosm for the way the world works today but in a very exaggerated sense and i, I yeah, understand that yeah and, yeah um i think it's a cool idea i just need to have a catalyst within the story itself to follow along through and i didn't really have that like um it was hard for me to place myself within the story when there's no one I could attach myself to whatsoever, right? So yeah, you you really just didn't like I guess Curtis as a protagonist because I I guess you could, as an audience you can kind of fall in either way because my appeal to Curtis is not that I could relate to him but that he's a very morally ambiguous character. Um, he's not he's not like a clear coat of one shade. He's there's moments where he kind of he makes very 
questionable decisions and and throughout that you're you're questioning what all of this is about this revolution why they're fighting and just leads you to all these questions right and i don't have a problem with moral morally ambiguous characters it's just that when the characters they are opposing are not morally ambiguous they are like without a doubt comic booky evil it's hard mm-hmm. to cheer for someone that's morally ambiguous you know it's like give me one or the other it's like either have a morally ambiguous villain and a hero sort of clash or like a clear coat good guy bad guy situation i feel you yeah uh, i i think that could have helped it like a kind of a morally ambiguous villain which i think they were almost doing a little bit but then they they went pretty they kind of set the the standard of who the villain was uh wilfred like yeah i i agree with you that's basically what i'm saying like if they kind of that that's the whole theme almost of the movie is like just this moral ambiguity throughout the whole situation so yeah if you know what villain i really liked actually even though she was really cartoonish and campy but tilda swinton's character um who like on on google her name in the movie is mason so i don't know if she would like the character was based off a, a male character and they cast Tilda Swinton or something. But I thought her kind of antagonist role was, was cool because she's almost like, um, um, she's almost like Hans Londa from Inglorious Bastards in the sense, like she'll, she'll just get out of whatever situations she's in, like, or she, she'll say whatever she has to do to get out of the situation she's in kind of thing. And, um, yet she's also, a unique character and like that she's so indoctrined into the the world of what she's she buys into that so much so i found her interesting in just like how her and curtis interacted like they're they're both very set in their ways in the beginning of the film you know i get that um i it's hard for me to even explain how i feel but like it was just boring to me and i i I hardly pay attention to this movie i don't know i should because i'm doing a podcast about this stuff now but it's like i couldn't even orient myself within the because the setup for the story itself is dumb in my mind it takes fiction to a stretches fiction out incredibly thin to how this world is set up and then when you have this story that's been told over and over and over again, the low class people coming up to have a revolution, but then things aren't what they seem. It just was like, I kind of knew how things were going to end up and they ended up exactly how they ended up. Except this time I was following a character I didn't like or a set of characters that I didn't like. Right. Because it, it didn't give me a reason to like them. And that may be the point, but like it gave me a reason to hate the other people. So mm-hmm. at least give me a reason to hate this, or to like this guy, right? And then there's also a bunch of little things like directing choices where it's like, you know, it's kind of like it felt like in certain instances within the movie, um, it wasn't like a laugh track, but like a shock track. It's like he, it felt like some parts of the movie they paused mm-hmm. for the audience to mm-hmm. gasp. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't buy those. Um yeah, I think that lends itself my interpretation of those moments because I know what you're referring to. Um, I think that lends itself into 
the nature of it being a, based off a graphic novel and he's trying to almost tell it in that kind of way kind of like how sin city had those very unique to itself techniques of showing it being a graphic novel story using color and using uh directing and stuff like that or just the director's choices in in his techniques so you know okay let's kind of get into spoilers with this one because i want to i want to get into the specifics of what your gripe is and also to to see what scenes kind of didn't buy it for you because i thought there were some scenes that were like just great like just well directed and well kind of placed within the story to make me feel all the right things because i kind of i like the when you say it like you're not fault you, you don't like the protagonist that much or the, the cast of characters that you're following i kind of feel like you're not you're supposed to find kind of like buy into them in a superficial way in the sense that you buy into the rebels in star wars because they're the rebels and the empire is like the nazis right so you, you on a surface level you're supposed to cheer for the rebels and i think this kind of parallels that almost that on the surface level yeah you're supposed to cheer for the the people who are oppressed or whatever but i think you're you're kind of you're a smart audience right like you're a smart movie watcher and you're almost like looking at it already trying to see like okay but what why am i supposed to cheer for you you know why am i supposed to cheer for you and they're not giving you that because of that moral ambiguity outwardly you know what i mean yeah like, like at least in at least the rebels had a plucky leader that i could really enjoyed following along and following his adventure right well sure that's that's all shouts out to mark hamill though he's just 1970s pure charisma like that's just america's fucking sweetheart right there yeah but what did this you movie know? give me it gave me some asshole that eats babies and um his spoiler yeah <laughs> sorry and um his stupid annoying like n- no reason to be rude irish friend spoilers mm-hmm. who fucking dies and i laughed I was like, oh, for but a great okay, because now we're gonna get into spoilers. Like that was a great scene. I thought that was like, probably the one of the best scenes I in the movie. His death scene. I laughed so hard. I mean, it's it's. I don't know why you laughed. It wasn't funny, outwardly funny at all. Like it was kind of funny, like, it was fun- it was funny uh, to me. The attempt they tried to make to make me care about this annoying character that I wish died earlier. But they no, but they see, they're not trying to make you care about him. They're trying to make you care about Curtis's choices in that in that moment. If that scene is a reflection of Curtis right yeah it's because you're you're right like i you're not supposed to care like you're supposed to care about that that irish guy jamie bell's character i forget his name edgar is his name (laughs) you're supposed to care about him because he's a kid he's he's young in the movie he's trying to be he's plucky he's trying to be helpful you don't get much more than that character wise and i think you're supposed to buy into that you know you're you're supposed to look at these people somewhat on a surface level and then reflect on what all that means because Bong Joon-ho is a fucking smart director. I'm sure he, he, I know on a directing level, he thought out everything well enough compositionally that he must have thought out the characters to think like you're supposed to, like, I don't want to think like I know the right answer or there is right answer or whatever, but I think like he, he must have thought about that a little bit of Edgar dying and that like, you're not supposed to care about him. Like, fuck that guy. He's, he's, he's a, a plot device essentially in the movie right and i don't know? like characters and maybe that's that, your gripe right? yeah maybe that's your gripe it's he's like, like he's used as a why even spend time like another th- like this movie's too like this movie shouldn't be two hours long it's way too long right so if you're gonna use characters as a plot device like don't waste screen time mm-hmm. with him doing asshole mm-hmm. shit because he, he was being an asshole it's like why are you being this needless dick and mm-hmm. i'm supposed to like you and then, and then when you yeah. die okay. when you die 
who I don't like, why would I even care about you? When you die, you're now like the primary motivator for the main character's second half of the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's what it's supposed to be. I, 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 everything you're saying is pretty much right. But I think that's how you're supposed to look at it at the same time is that he served his purpose to the story and to, to Curtis, basically that what kind of leader is Curtis going to be, you know, and that, that scene when they're in that section of the train and, that scene perfectly tells what the story is about. Like, are you looking forward or do you look back? And what's necessarily the right or wrong thing? You know, like, it's is it always a blanket right or wrong answer with your actions? Or the whole movie is about that ambiguity, that gray area, you know? And that's what I think you're supposed to think is like, yeah, I was fucking up with Kurt. I was fucking with Curtis up until this middle point, you know? Like, he was the leader. Yeah, he, he's a bit of a reluctant leader and... Yeah, you know, and then, and then that happens. You're like, this guy's a fucking cold-hearted motherfucker, you know. And then right after that, he he pops a cap and Tilda Swinton's head again, point blank. Th- and then you see this guy's cold, badass, like you know. I think it would have worked better. Like I don't mind like the moral ambiguity, but it's like, yeah, when the villains of the story aren't so morally ambiguous, and their intentions yeah. are clearly evil. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when you try to have a story with gray and black, it just, I don't, I just don't think it melds well. It's right. It's like, at least if you're going to show moral ambiguity, like show like the higher class train carts, like show some like human interaction with them. All they did was show these higher class train carts to be full of assholes and drug addicts and indoctrinated kids it's like yeah i don't care if these people die whatsoever right but Mm -hmm. the people who who are taking over aren't any better so why am i even cheering for them that's bro that's the whole point of the movie that's that's what the ending signifies right the okay so now we're getting into the real spoilers the meat of the ending the train at the end basically there's an explosion and the train derails and a bunch of the cars delink and they fall down a mountain pretty much and like you get in a, a lot of people die essentially and the train is now on like on its side in like on the mountainside or whatever and all our main characters i don't want to spoil it like to the point where nobody wants to watch it but like basically shit goes wrong shit happens and the two kid characters walk out of the train and like that's such a jarring moment. You're like, what now I'm fucking landed on these kids. Like now we're going to end the movie on these two kids who I barely spent any screen time with. Like, here's the thing though. This is not my gripe with the movie because that's what I think the movie is trying to say. It's not, it's not about good and bad. It's not about quote unquote rebels versus empire. Right. It's about trying to find that middle, whatever that middle is. And I, I wrote a lot of good notes about this movie, I think, but I can almost write like an essay to be honest about the notes I wrote. Um, but there was like, there's this thing that you're right. Like that higher class ambiguity wasn't there, but there was that middle class representation a little bit, which was the, um, Namgum character and his daughter. Right. So you see these people as drug addicts, like junkie characters who are just going for the show just to get drugs, just to get high and whatever. And you realize their whole purpose in the story is like, they're the smartest characters in the entire movie these junkies their whole thing is like why have we accepted the fact that we're locked in this train that there's all this oppression all this class dispute shit 
And why have we just accepted that? Why doesn't anybody try going outside? Oh, we just bought into the idea that the world is frozen. Okay, that was 20 years ago. Like, why don't why don't we check? You know, why doesn't anybody just check? Well, they do check because they they're the smartest characters to make the train and it freezes in seven minutes. What's that? They stick a guy's arm outside the train and it freezes in seven minutes. Like everything they established in that movie up to that point still signified that the outside world was inhabitable. It's not, it's not, you can't live. No, no, but that, there was a line, there was a line before that moment happened where they were talking about like altitude and some shit. So like, I see what you're saying, but that's a bit like reading into it. If they're at a higher altitude, it takes less time to freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So So yeah. So I think like the implication is, is that they're at a high altitude. So that froze, right? Something like that. No, the implication is that like they they judge the amount of time they need to freeze a body part based on the altitude they're at. Right, but the fact that his arm... Fro- okay, anyways. At the end of the movie, they're outside. like, And then the last shot is that there's a polar bear, right? They're face-to-face with kind of a polar bear. And I thought this was a really weird ending that I wanted to talk to you about kind of in detail, but that ending to me, what it means is like, okay, like life exists and has continued to exist outside, whether it's human or not. Like, yeah, you stick a bear, fro- like bear skin arm outside of a moving train at like a thousand kilometers an hour somewhere in the mountains. Yeah, it'll freeze a bear skin arm. But, you know, like if you're properly covered up and shit, maybe you could have survived in that weather. Who knows? And I think that's what the ending showed. It's like, no, life continued. Life went on. There was a, if a polar bear could exist, that means an entire ecosystem had to have existed for a certain right, amount of time. Right? Two humans we see live. Only, that's all we see just for the last no, I, scene. I think but I'd be much more you, interested in a movie can, where this crash tries to survive all the polar bears coming to eat them. Because the first thing that polar bear doing is hauling ass towards those two people. That's my first, that was my first impression of the ending. I was like, why would you choose to end on a polar bear? Because it's last a shot? visual representation of climate change being solved. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. the polar bear is the mascot. I, I didn't Thanks like Al Gore yeah. to. I know. But my, my biggest gripe with the movie, like, I like the movie a lot, but my biggest gripe with it was that ending just because it was, like, too ambiguous. It just, it, it almost didn't fit, like, the movie that it was showing. But I think I, the the benefit of watching movies over and over again and just kind of accepting what it is, like, I understand in your first viewing, like, you're going to go in with kind of, like, limited expectations. And, you, you know, if a movie doesn't go the way you think. And I, I think, though, like, if you like watch it over and over again and like you know overall just accept like okay this is what the movie is trying to be and what is it trying to say and how well does it say those things that's how i'm kind of judging this movie less of like its flaws and character and stuff because i can buy into why the characters are the way it's are in the context of how it's trying to tell its story i can buy the characters how they are as well i just can't cheer for them so like i have a hard time watching this movie it was really hard for me to get through this movie you know who who i was like I don't yeah like cheering is a weird word to use because like rarely do do I ever catch myself like rooting that hard for characters but like the the uh junkie daughter in the movie I thought she was one of like my favorite characters because there was like a little bit to her that was um like she was was like the word I'm looking for she wasn't an integral character but she said a lot about the movie she was like she represented like a youth kind of like the, a kid, like she was a kid, but she represents the new, like kids of the new generation coming up in the world. She also just seemed like a 
plot device though because they just all of a sudden introduce her as like this psychic character yeah it's never explained and it's like used very sparsely so there there was like three times in this movie where i'm like what's going on and then i'm like oh right she's psychic because they never Mm. they just say one throwaway line like oh you're clairvoyant aren't you and then she doesn't say yes or no and then yeah she just said don't open that fucking door and then and her power great. is used when it's convenient throughout the plot. It's like, mm, and yet, yeah, that's that's a fair criticism, and that's pretty fair. It's like, yeah, I I enjoy like the concept of a character like this youth being born on the train and her father sort of like taking her through and like wanting to explain to her, you know, what the old world was like and what this what we can do and bring into the new world once we get off this fucking train. Um, I enjoyed that concept. I just, yeah. Like, again, like a lot of this movie is, and it might just be the graphic novel. It's like the characters are used as plot devices. Yeah. But I think you hit the nail on the head in the beginning before we started talking about it. When you compared this to ex machina and you said like ex machina is a story on the individual and on the self and like all the things that revolve around what that means. Whereas this movie is much more societal based and group of people and what does all that mean and so i think when it's trying to like the fact that that's what the movie is about and you almost don't like i understand your gripe but that almost wouldn't have fit in like that if she has so much individuality and you got the full sense of her backstory like all the characters in the movie played the role that they were supposed to play to tell the story that was supposed to be told right and And that's why i might check out the snowpiercer tv series right because it's, it's a long form show yeah that might actually just expand into all the things that you would have problems is shows can do that shows can get into all the meat of it but the fact that i think as a movie maybe maybe for sure is trying to brush over certain things the see like i don't know i don't know how fair it is even to say a, a movie is good purely off its thematics and and how it's trying to convey those themes like is it fair to say a movie is amazing just for that or is it bad or is it fair to say a movie is terrible because the characterizations weren't up to my liking you know like there's it's it's such that's another ambiguous thing like how do we even judge movies for for that like because from my opinion is like if that was bong jun ho's intention of what you said which is like i want to make a movie of society and of how people in a group are and kind of taking a bird's eye view of people in a train in a contained environment seeing how they act and then i think he would have accomplished that you know without getting too much into the details of it into, into the meat but almost like an analogy almost like a a mythic story or like a worldly story you know i get that um i get that you value probably as like a director you value intention quite a bit I value execution quite a bit. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I I just don't... I understand what they're going for. I understand, like, as I was going through, I was like, okay, that makes sense thematically or metaphorically, and, like, this visually represents this and this and this, and it's like, okay, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought the execution was... Um, subpar. And yeah, I'd really... no, that, that's a fair, that's totally fair, bro. And I, I, and I'd be interested in checking out the show as well. And we could get, we could get back to this kind of Snowpiercer conversation later in a later episode after watching the show and seeing how the show fares up, because I'm sure, you know, 
I also read a synopsis of the graphic novel, and it's a completely different story. Really? The the because you we were talking about the graphic novel before, but you said there was multiple books. So yeah, but I'm not going to consider the second one because the second one kind of just makes the first one null and void. Okay, if that makes sense, Fair. because the second one, yeah, no one else is going to. So yeah, no, no. So the the movie is just based off the first book. The movie is based off the concept of the first book and all the characters, but not literally. Yeah, not literally. Right. The the story's different. Like the the story's kind of the oh, same, okay. but it's like they took the liberty of introducing the world and they played around with mm-hmm. the world. Right. The 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 graphic novel is same setting, different concept. See, that's uh, that's what I was kind of talking about in the beginning is like I found what's interesting about the story, whether it's like different, like as you're saying from the graphic novel and even if the TV show is completely different from the movie, is that there is something universal about the story that's translatable throughout so many different voices and for so many different types of audiences. Like if it, if the story starts its life out as a French graphic novel as one thing, and you know, like it's now in this movie that has its very, its own unique style. It's not like how Sin City was trying to take pages off the book and kind of recreate that. But this movie plays with the tropes of a graphic novel and, and, I think in some parts it does as well and some parts might not do it so well, but the way it translates it into like a kind of a modern day tale, it's like a parable. I think that's what it kind of is. And I'm interested to seeing if the graphic novel is like that too. If it, if it at its core is trying to be like a parable or if it's trying to be more of a, more of a fictional story, you know, more of a sci-fi kind of thriller, you know, whereas I think the movie is more of a sci-fi parable in a sense. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it just seems like they took advantage of the cool concept, even though I actually have gripes of the setting because as someone who's taken atmospheric chemistry and climatology courses, <laughs> the setting of this Man, how do you never exist. <laughs> Man, how do you even enjoy movies as a scientist? Like, you just i know you analytically break down everything you watch in science and you're how do you even enjoy movies like that i wonder uh sometimes you learn to just turn your brain off like when i'm yeah i think sometimes you got to do that yeah right but like the the outrageousness of (laughs) the situation but then how do you like how do you like sci-fi then because sci-fi is all mostly not all but like x x machina is almost different in that sense but it mostly does play with the outrageous. I'm sure if I was a data uh, scientist, Ex Machina might piss me off. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> it's a different scientist. If it's if you know the science, then you can dig yeah, deep. Don't in fuck it. with the no, climate. But, like I know the climate. I yeah. know how it works. <laughs> For sure. I, I'm I'm kind of the same way when it comes to like because my background in education is film. So like sometimes like I I won't even enjoy a movie because I'm watching it as if I've watched the movie three times on my first viewing. Like I'm. I have to turn off that analytical side of my brain that's trying to figure out shot compositions and editing. And like, that's so like subconscious to my thinking. I'm like, Oh, he made that cut for this reason. You know, like I'm like, I shouldn't think like that. Like just enjoy the fucking movie as it's going, figure all that out later on a second viewing or a third movie. But like, I'm trying to like reteach my brain that now, like on our first viewing, go in as if you're a kid in the theater and you have no idea what the fuck you're about to watch. Just you've only seen the trailer and just watch it. And I think, that's almost a flaw to like modern day movies nowadays or like modern day audiences. I want to say is like 
that experience of just being able to go sit in and turn that off and just, you know, the dumb part of your brain, allow that to just not even dumb. I don't want to say that, but like your subconscious, right? Yeah. Cause that's, that's why I have like speak to us. subjective yeah. ratings of films and then objective ratings of films. Cause I can go yeah. in both ways. It's like, you know, if I'm yeah. watching the fucking yeah. Star Wars prequels and be like, Oh yeah, this is fucking haha. That's the meme I see all the time. But then if I actually like yeah. try to break down what the movies did, I was like, okay, well, this is not so great. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a big line when you try when you define things from objective and subjective, like that list can change. That list can vary. Oh God. Yeah. Like I, in terms of like my subjective enjoyment of, let's say a movie like infinity war, like yeah. fucking eight out of 10. Let's look at how the story is structured. Eh, it's, can we talk about Infinity War? Because that's an interesting discussion we could have. I think the story structure of Infinity War is pretty fantastic. I that think the fact time that travel could... stories get pretty messy. You're talking about Endgame then. Endgame oh, sorry, is yeah, Endgame. Travel. Sorry, not yeah, Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity yeah. Wars. Okay. Woo, Infinity Wars. Oh, top level, bro. Yeah. Like I. Sorry, Endgame. They... Endgame is a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. Endgame's a yeah. That's a different story. They had to juggle a lot more balls. Yeah. But um, I think like. Yeah, well, that's a different discussion. We'll talk about Avengers another day, maybe. Yeah. But um, next week we have a big discussion planned. I'm supposed to. Well, watch. are we are we still gonna are we still gonna do that? Like, have you even started that prep yet? I haven't. Because I haven't either. It, <laughs> There's a couple of days. It's a busy <laughs> so, week for me. Yeah, it's a busy week for me too. So maybe I think because that's a big prep. Let's leave that for next week or the week after. You want to do another sci-fi smackdown? I was thinking actually because. We had a good discussion about video games earlier in this episode. Do you want to talk more about video games in the next episode? Actually, yeah, I'd be down. Yeah. Because I still want to talk about Doom a little bit. I'll, I'm, I'm going to try to finish sure. Doom and then I'll get back to you. Sure. Yeah. I, I really want to spend an episode talking about Death Stranding. I haven't had that chance yet. Yeah. So I want to geek out a little bit. I'm curious because I don't think Death Stranding is my type of game, but I want you to convince me. Sure. Yeah. No, uh, for sure. It, watch a couple of videos on it so you're fresh up on it, but I'm going to play it a bit this week too again. And yeah, I've just been, honestly, I've been gaming a lot more than watching movies the past two weeks, at least like at least hours wise, the amount of time I'm spending at home, I'm probably gaming more. And then at night, obviously turn on a, turn on a movie or something, but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm playing Spider-Man PS4 again, or finishing the DLC of that. That's another game that we were talking about flow state. You get into like a pretty rhythmic flow state with that game and it's fun. And yeah, so that, that should be a pretty fun episode, I think. All right. All right. Good talk. I think that's uh, that's about it for this episode. That might be an episode. Yeah, where where are we? We're we're pretty. We long. got a decent length here. Where this yeah. is the longest one. Yeah, we well that this was our sci-fi SmackDown two. So I guess we're kind of going to continue the series as it goes. Um, and uh, let us know what kind of movies you guys want us to talk about and we're always open to suggestions you know me and cheney love geeking about the shit that we're talking about and um we want to continue doing so so interact with us on instagram which is at mythic morons um thank you for the people that are dropping reviews on our page please on spotify or podcast or google podcast or whatever it is show us some love drop us a review and uh leave some comments leave some fan interactions or whatever or yeah, and appreciate the people, all, all the people showing support. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. All right, signing off. Yeah, it's getting late. Let's sign off now, and uh, we'll see you. Or we'll not see you because we don't see anybody. We're all quarantined. But we'll talk to each other 
at a later point. All right. <laughs> I guess we'll end off like that. <laughs> See ya.